ready to take communion right now. Let me ask you, though, to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I will go ahead and answer uh, so you don't have to ask me. Uh, we had a, a good vacation. Thank you for those of you that uh, would be wondering how our vacation went. Um, we were actually staying at a place on the intercoastal waterway, and one of my favorite things to do was to go out to the dock and to, let's say, sit in the hammock and uh, just watch the boats go by. Sorry, I'm just... (laughs) One of the things, as I watched the boats go by, that I, I got interested in was to see what the names of the boats would be, which uh, it, it became kind of a little hobby, and there were all kinds of them. I didn't have anything to, to write on, but I remember some of them, like Almost Heaven and Amazing Grace, you know, almost religious uh, experiences. There were some, some like Freedom, or this was Clever, Peerless. Uh, pier, and uh, and then there were um, lots of names of women. I'm sure it was either wives or girlfriends or that kind of a thing. There were some uh, clever ones like um, office, the office, or the boss, which I figured then people could say when they were out on their boat, I was at the office, or... I was with the boss, that, that kind of a thing. And then there were a, a number of double entendre, which uh, I uh, couldn't possibly repeat here from the pulpit. One of them, though, that stuck out at me was I, I saw this boat coming. I saw the name was uh, emblazoned on the side, and the name of the boat was Penance. I thought, well, well, that's interesting. And it caused me to, uh, to think for a few minutes. I, I wonder, I wonder what, what the thought behind choosing that name was. Uh, penance, as you know, would be uh, the idea of showing sorrow for sin. And uh, usually it has to do with uh, confession and repentance and then being told what you need to do to address that sin, to make up for that sin, so to speak. So I thought, okay, why would somebody name their boat Penance? And I figured either it was just a joke, uh, making fun of the whole concept, or maybe the person was saying, this is my idea of Penance. Or it could be saying, for what goes on on this boat, I need to do some penance. (laughs) And there may be other reasons, but as I thought about that, I was uh, uh, this week working on uh, the message uh, as we approached the Lord's table, and I I thought back to uh, the name of that boat and the whole idea, because the the idea of penance, I, I think, sadly, some people think that That's about what we are going to do. 
or I need to do penance before I should come to the Lord's table. Or <clears throat> this somehow makes up for sin in my life, or it addresses sin in my life. And we don't want to fall into that trap that we are somehow doing something that is going to put us in good stead with God. Now today, I want us to, to look very briefly at uh, some aspects of the Apostle Paul, not just to say, well, I want you guys to be like Paul, but to see kind of the process in his life of how God worked in his life to teach him that it's not about penance. It's not about what you can do to have a relationship with God, but it's something far different than that. I, today, through the scripture, want to give you the better way. In Ephesians 3, verse 7, it says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, and, and, and here's the part I want you to know, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, will you teach us in these moments as we approach your table, teach us of the unsearchable riches of Christ and what that means for direction, for motivation, for our lives, Lord, and the first stop being in a few moments at the Lord's table. Will you work in our hearts today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now I want to give you three things briefly about Paul's calling, but in particular, how it applies to us. And understanding that he obviously grew in and then he came to some very important conclusions, and they're conclusions that we must have, we must believe in terms of relationship with God. First of all, we, I want you to look at a, a, a right understanding of oneself and using Paul. In verse 8, he says, I am less than the least of all God's people. People. I am the very least of all the saints. Now, how did he get to that point? I want you to contrast that because some of you might say, well, Paul must have had a low, low self-esteem. He didn't get it. He was a great man. So it must have been about him having a warped view of himself. Well, you need to understand where he came from and what he was like before Christ and even the kinds of credentials that he had in Philippians 3. 
he talks about those. Now, he's not bragging about these, but he says, look, if, if anyone had reason for confidence in the flesh, in other words, if anyone could say, look, I've got these credentials and God needs to perk up and see my credentials, if anyone was in that position, Paul's saying, that would have been me. In fact, I have more than any of you. And here's what he said, were his credentials from a human and particularly from a religion of that day perspective. He says in Philippians 3, 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he says, look, here from a human perspective are my credentials. These are things that would impress the person that is looking at their own religion, their own activities as being a way to get to God. He said, look, I've, I've got all those. Now, what took him from thinking about all those credentials, which he did before he came to know Christ, before he met Christ, that's what he would have said. That would have been his testimony, his resume, from being at that point to calling himself, I'm, I'm the least of all the saints. What, what moved him in that way? Well, if we look chronologically, there are a couple of other places we can look. After he came to know Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So this is at one point in his life, he is, he's met Christ, and he is called by Christ to be an apostle, to be his representative. And he says, I'm, I'm the least of any of the apostles. Look, I, I persecuted the church. Later in his Christian walk, we can read in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, he says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You see the progression? At one point, he, before Christ, he would have said, here are all my credentials. He comes to Christ and he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. There's something I'm foremost at, though, and that is of all sinners. And then later, this passage in Ephesians 3.8, chronologically, this would have been the third one. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. And some of your versions may say less than the least, the very least of all the saints. This grace was given for me to do these things. The more he got to know Christ, the lower his estimation of his own accomplishments became. You see, that, that, that those things that at one point <clears throat> were his resume 
he said, uh, those aren't my resume anymore. You want to know about me? Well, I'm the least. I'm the worst. I'm the least. Some of you might have grown up or been in churches that have taught the victorious life or, or the higher life, some called it. It's erroneous teaching. It's wrong. It basically in, teaches that if you struggle with sin, then you're probably not even really a Christian. You're not a Christian yet or you're not one now. Or you're a Christian, you haven't chosen to take advantage of the victory offered to those in Christ. That's that perspective. It's unbiblical. Because there is a struggle with sin. And if you're honest in your heart of hearts, you know all too well about that struggle with sin. But here's how you need to look at it. Instead of saying, well, <clears throat> that must mean that I haven't taken hold of the Christian life or I don't even know if I'm a Christian because I struggle with sin, the way you need to see that is it is that very struggle that means that sanctification is taking place in your life. And by sanctification, what we're talking about is that you are growing to be more and more like Christ. Because the unbeliever doesn't struggle with sin. If it wasn't for Christ in you, you would not struggle at all. I'm not saying take comfort and say, oh, well, good, then I'll keep, you know, having sin so I can have that proof in my life. Not at all. But just to know that it is evidence that God is working in your life. I've read through the years a, a number of Christian biographies and autobiographies, and, and when I started reading those early on, it always struck me how how strange it seemed to me that these, these people that we set up as wonderful Christians, and they were, who did mighty things in their life, seemed to, even at the end of their life, struggle with sin. And I thought, what's the deal here? What it was, what it is, is the more they came to know Christ the closer as they grew, the closer they came to the light, the more they saw their own sin. And that's, that's what we see with the Apostle Paul as well. Robert Robinson wrote, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. That's the part I want you to hear. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then here's his response. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. All of our hearts are prone to wander. 
We need that right understanding of ourselves. But that of necessity needs to lead to a right understanding of grace. When we talk about grace, we talk about unmerited favor. In other words, something bestowed upon us that that we don't deserve. Well, the thing we need to understand, it's not only that we don't deserve favor, we deserve wrath. It's not just undeserved, it's ill-deserved. And so, we read in Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not a result of penance. Not a result of coming to church. Not a result of doing the right thing. Those latter two are good and important. But it is not how we merit anything from God. Can you imagine Paul ever saying, I deserve forgiveness? He said, I'm the foremost sinner. I'm the least of the apostles, the least of the saints. Can you imagine him ever saying, I deserve forgiveness? We can't but some of you may be tempted to say, yeah, but Paul was a pretty bad guy. He persecuted Christians. He persecuted the church. I never did that before I was a Christian, you may think in your mind. You may even say in your mind, I was good even before I knew Christ. The scripture says those things you think are good are filthy rags, useless to be destroyed. And that leads us after understanding ourselves and our need for grace to a right view of the gospel. Look at what he calls it. The unsearchable riches of Christ. (laughs) I hope you have not gotten so cold, so used to it, that you are not at times overwhelmed with the unsearchable riches of Christ. With your own unworthiness apart from Christ. May your heart be warmed toward that. John Calvin called it the unboundless riches of Christ. After the war between the states, even though he had been freed as some slaves chose to do, one of them decided to stay with the one who had been his owner at the plantation. 
in time that plantation owner died. And because this now employee, this servant, had been so faithful, the owner left $50,000 to him in the bank. This former slave never took advantage of that, perhaps not understanding. $50,000 in that day, probably today, half a million, probably more. The money was on deposit for him. But he never went in until one day he went into the bank and asked the banker, if he could borrow 50 cents for rice. You see, he had no concept that it was all his. It was given to him. He had no concept that he had 100,000 times that amount for the asking no comprehension of what he possessed. Like this servant, if you are trusting in Christ Jesus alone for your eternal life, you have an account. It is yours. It is in evidence by what's in front of us right now. It's an account that says that your sins are not so great but that they are covered. It's an account that says you will never lose your relationship because it was bought at a price on the cross by Jesus Christ at the highest price of his blood. And sadly, too many who are believers still act like they need to beg for 50 cents or they need to earn their way. May it never be. You who are in Christ are children of the King, invited to his table because Jesus made a place for you. Listen to words that were given to the Apostle Paul about that invitation. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It is, it is an invitation to you and only you who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. Now, if 
you're not at that point yet. I am delighted that you're here. I want you to hear all that was said and, and to know that it is offered for you. And to know that someday I would want to welcome you to this table when, when you come to that point of professing your own faith in Christ. But if you haven't done it yet, this passage warns us against making a mockery of what those who believe and sincerely come to this table in the name of Christ by invitation are doing. And so as the elements come by, don't be embarrassed or ashamed, but let them go by because that would be better than to eat or drink judgment on yourself. If you're struggling with your faith, if you're struggling with sin, there's only one key, and that is what Christ did on the cross, and that you are not a beggar, but instead, you are a child who can now, even now, Deal with that sin because of what Christ has done. And then partake with joy, remembering what he did on the cross. Let's bow together. Lord, now, having considered this from your word, we ask that you will take these elements and set them apart for, from their ordinary use. We could buy these at the grocery store, Lord, and they may be in our cupboards at home, but will you use this bread and this fruit of the vine to grow us in you? We pray in Jesus' name.